Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and from Northern Seminary. We are so grateful for you to your continued partnership in the gospel and especially greetings to you from uh, where I normally worship with you on the weekends when I'm not preaching uh, on behalf of Northern Seminary from the Downers Grove branch who joins us even by live stream as well to our sanctuary worshipers this morning and those who are joining us via live stream on their devices all around the world today. What a joy to be with you this weekend as we think about some very important topics together from God's Word as what it means to live as citizens, as one nation under God, as we pledge our allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And I was thinking about uh, three years ago when I moved from the south to the north here into Chicago land, and that first fall getting to know some of the families in our neighborhood where we live, and I had the joy of, of going on one of those uh, Indian guide father-son campouts uh, just to meet some of the dads and, and some of the other boys that were in, in, our, in our younger son's class, and we were kind of going around the campfire and uh, sharing our stories a little bit, and, and very few people really know what a a seminary is, let alone what a seminary president is. So I usually get to tell them, you know, how we train persons in their Christian walk, Christian leaders, pastoral leaders to grow in their faith and to lead congregations like Christ Church here. And, um, and I was talking to a, to a guy sitting across the campfire there, we'll just call him John. And I said, John, you know, what do you and your family normally do? And, and he said, well, you know, um, normally on Friday night, um, we, uh, we attend a, a Lithuanian school. I said, hmm, that's interesting. Well, what do you do at this Lithuanian school? You know, I'm from the South, so I'm kind of getting to know what's happening up here. And he said, well, my kids uh, uh, learn the Lithuanian language. And he said, rather matter-of-factly, and of course, we, uh, we read Lithuanian books. And uh, we put on Lithuanian costumes, and uh, we sing Lithuanian songs, and we, we uh, actually uh, dance a Lithuanian dance or two. I said, wow. Now, you know, I, I moved here from Florida, so I'm a little slow, and I, I said, why? <laughs> why do you attend a Lithuanian school on a Friday night on the weekend? He said, well, you see, Bill, our family immigrated from Lithuania. I said, oh, okay, when did this happen? He said, well, you know, three or four generations ago, and we were naturalized as American citizens, and we love living in this nation now. And in fact, we used to go on Saturdays because that's when most people attend the Lithuanian school nearby on Saturdays. But because we were so busy on the weekends, they decided to start something on a Friday night so that more people could come. You see, we love living where we have and the freedoms we have. We just don't want our children to ever forget where they came from. And I thought to myself, huh, you know, I do something similar on the weekend. I attend a church 
Not on Saturday, but on Sunday morning. And because so many folks have obligations on Sunday morning, on Saturday night, where we come together and we learn a different language, right? Grace and peace and sin and forgiveness. We even learn definitions of words that might mean one thing in the English language, but to us as Christians means something in totally different, right? And actually, we sing a, sing a few songs of our own. Some of you have had that disorienting experience of showing up in church for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time and wondering exactly what all these people are doing with donuts in hand and where do we go and what do we do and when do we stand and when do we sit and what do we sing and who are these people, right? Because we have a little culture of our own. And yes, if you were with us at Camp Cal this week, I will tell you, we actually dance a little dance too, right? We do all this on the weekend not just so we'll never forget where we came from, but actually to remind ourselves where we're going. To do as Paul suggests this morning to the church in Philippi and the church called Christ Church, to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as we make better citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it will naturally make us more compelling witnesses as citizens here where we live as one nation under God. So if you have your Bibles, would you join with me in turning to a passage this morning or finding it on your phone this morning, Philippians chapter 1. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, he uses a word one time, in fact, the only time he ever uses this all throughout his writings is found here in Philippians, and it relates to our theme for this weekend. And we find it here in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Philippians 1, verse 27. Listen to what he says here to the Philippian church. He reminds us only, and by the way, if he ever says only, just circle, star it, bold it, something good is about to happen. In fact, he's about to summarize the whole theme of the book of, Phil, of uh, the letter to the Philippians. And he says, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. For this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege of not only believing on him, but of also suffering for him on his behalf, since you are having the same struggle that you heard I have, and now are hearing that I still have. Now here in... In Philippians, Paul uses a, a unique image for the church where we oftentimes talk about the church as, as the body of Christ or the vine of Christ. In this case, Paul actually calls us a colony for Christ. 
And the only time we find it in his letters, just as we remember colonists who began to immigrate some almost 400 years ago now to this what they called a new world, a very old land, right? As they began to colonize this new world, Paul actually calls us colonists or citizens of a new kind of kingdom. In fact, just to put a sharper point on the quill, uh, in chapter 3, Paul says that we are citizens or colonists in chapter 3 of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, here back in chapter 1, he says, and he phrases it, we don't get this in the English versions, but in the Greek version, it actually says, only worthy of the gospel of Christ, citizen, as a verb, become a citizen, right? And not just an oath we take or a place where we were born, as we normally define citizenship, but rather a practice that we live into. That this sense that we are colonists, ambassadors sent on behalf of the kingdom of heaven now here to set up this colony called Christ Church that whether, wherever you are placed in, in Elmhurst or Downers Grove or Clarendon Hills or Elk Grove or LaGrange or Oak Brook, that wherever you are scattered, that we would be representatives of the gospel worthy living out lives worthy of this gospel. Now, why on earth would he pick this particular image for the city of Philippi and this particular church that God had birthed there? Well, if you know a little bit about your, your Greek history, you will know that Philippi had been founded by the ancient conqueror Philip of Macedon, that great Macedonian general, and had given it to his son, Alexander the Great, and when the Romans conquered the city of Philippi and rebuilt it, rebuilt it, they decided to turn it into a retirement home for veterans of Roman wars. They set it up literally as a Roman colony for veterans who had once fought on behalf of the generals and the emperors of Rome. And so it was their retirement gift, in fact. And when they fought, you might find it fascinating that they fought not in long rows and in, or as insurgents in the woods, but rather they fought in what historians tell us today in military detachments like a, a Roman tortoise. They copied this, of course, from the Greeks as the Romans did most things, and it looked like a large square, a tortoise moving rather slowly, but it was almost an impenetrable fortress as they stood side by side, would rotate one soldier after another. No man, the moment he would go down, another soldier behind them would pick them up, so there was ever literally no man left behind because no man ever fell behind. They just kept moving forward on behalf of the emperor. Well, these veterans moved to, to Philippi. And wouldn't you know, the gospel did too, right? You'll recall from Acts chapter 16, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, come over and help us. And on his first trip to Europe, 
He didn't encounter a man. He encountered a woman named Lydia who had already started a place of prayer right there on the banks of the river in Philippi. And she had gathered together a group of praying believers. Paul baptized them. A house church was born. And presumably we know that many of those Philippian veterans were baptized into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That their baptism naturalized them, if you will, into a greater allegiance, into a Christian colony where they now swore allegiance not to a, a corrupt general or to an emperor, but now to allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And they were now learning to live out the very kind of faith that they had been given. And in much the same way, we are still learning to live out that faith as a Christian colony today. You see, if we were to share the gospel today in overseas, say in a North Korean prison camp, or inside the walls of a, of a communist, Chinese communist house church where people had been arrested over the weekend, if we were to go there today and share the gift of Christ's freedom, it would be an incredible gift of grace and liberation, right? As many of our communist friends have told us, friends who survived under communism, under Russia's uh, regime there many years ago, and dissidents had written about, they, they told us that when, they, when the gospel found them in the writings of Irina Ratushinskaya, she would say to us that when we heard the light of Christ's freedom, it was like a gift of liberation. But she also said, when we share the gospel here, for those who have not been under the oppression of communism or the oppression of some of the countries in China and in Iran and in Iraq, we recognize that when we share the gospel in America, oftentimes freedom is not a gift. Freedom is a test. Because for Americans, for those who recognize that many have fought and died for the, for the freedoms that we enjoy and we, we use and the freedom to worship as we choose and the freedom to not worship if we don't choose. Freedom is actually a test as Christians of our allegiance to Jesus. Whether we're actually going to choose to put Christ first in everything, whether we're actually going to make time on the weekend to worship him with our fellow sisters and brothers, right? Which is exactly why we need the book of Philippi, right, on this particular week. Because Paul warns us that we are going to face two kind of, kinds of threats in the colony. That as we are tested because of the freedoms that we have been given, we are going to face two kinds of threats that we cannot avoid but we must be prepared for. The first, naturally, he says, are those what we call external threats. Paul says in chapter 2 and reminds us that we live in a corrupt and a perverse generation. So it should come as no surprise that if Paul lived in that kind of generation and we live in that kind of generation, then we're going to face natural pushback and opposition for just 
living the kinds of lives that we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. No doubt if we shared together, as we did even this week at Camp Cal, we have experienced times when we've said there are rules in our household and this is what's acceptable, and we felt that soft pushback from other families and friends in our schools and neighborhoods saying, why do you do that? Everyone else does it. Why do you not allow your children to do those kinds of things? That when you've been at the office and you've expressed to someone that you are a believer and that you go to church on the weekend, you fa face that cold shoulder and, and that stare and that glance and wondering if you're actually one of those Jesus freaks because they have no problem knowing that, we're, that we have a God that we serve, but they're a little curious about why you would ever worship that Jesus. Now, now Paul says, if you you experience that well good that's actually a sign to you it's a sign of their destruction but also of your salvation right in fact if you can check me uh, this afternoon as you're uh, grilling your hot dog or whatever it is you're going to do this afternoon that if you read Acts 16 you will notice that when Paul is in Philippi Paul is arrested right after he baptizes these new believers, he gets arrested. But he, and in fact, there's a great earthquake in the prison. It's a very exciting scene. You ought to read it. And, uh, but you will remember that he is not arrested for sedition. <laughs> uh, he is not arrested for committing treason against the emperor. No, he's actually arrested because uh, the Lord used him to cast an evil spirit out of a girl who had been caught up in human trafficking. And the effect it had on the economy is that it shut down the whole human trafficking economy in Philippi. So, by the way, if that happens because of your witness, good on you, says Paul. That don't be surprised about, okay? No, in fact, what Paul suggests to us in Philippians, that the greatest threat to the colony is not what's happening out there. And believe me, we could talk about a lot just based on the last couple of weeks. But the greatest threat to the colony is not what's happening out there, the external threats, it's actually the internal threats. The greatest danger we experience is actually what fellow colonists can do to each other because of the grumbling and pettiness that naturally results from being together in the Christian colony. Notice what Paul says in chapter 2, if you still have your Bibles open. Look at verse 14. Paul mentions to the Philippians and he points very closely at this imminent threat and danger that we face even today. He says in chapter 2 verse 14, do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Paul knows that one of the greatest dangers is something that we commonly do when we're facing stress and problems but can actually become an act of sabotage on any colony, especially a Christian colony. It's the, the common American practice of venting our frustrations, right? Do you have this problem? 
I know I experience this occasionally because after you've had a tough day at the office, you come home and you just want to get something off your chest, right? And you think by sharing it with something else, when you go into the break room with a colleague or two and say, I just want to share a little bit about what's on my mind, you think it's actually helping you to unload your burden. Unfortunately, that's not what Paul means to bear one another's burdens. That's actually spreading the virus of grumbling and complaining because of selfish ambition. That by venting our frustrations with one another, we actually become angrier and more resentful. I remember as a young pastor, I had this problem starting off as a, as a young leader thinking that on Monday morning that my responsibility when my assistant said to me, well, how did everything go on Sunday, that my job as a young pastor was actually to tell her everything, the good and the bad, right? And so I would proceed to sort of vent all of my frustrations on Monday morning and then go about my week, and a few weeks later, I would hear, oh, the pastor was not very happy about all that. What I had done is innocently, simply compounded my problems by creating a system, a culture of grumbling and griping and complaining. And what Paul suggests to us is that's exactly the greatest threat to the colony. I mean, the reason we see all the gripes and hashtags and tweets and things going on in the verbal litter storm of Twitter is because that's what's been there all along, right? Out of the heart, the tweet speaks. It's not like any of this stuff just started happening. This has been there. Now we get the misfortune of reading it all. And what Paul reminds us is this can infect us as believers, especially as we are training citizens for the kingdom of heaven. I, one of the pastors that we work with in, in Indiana was telling me a story just last week that his daughter has recently accepted a call to ministry and she's thinking about going into missions. And she stands by her dad in the receiving line every Sunday morning to, to greet people. And he asked her why she likes to stand beside him and greet all the people. And she said, oh, dad, I like to stand there because I know that's when they're going to come by and complain to you. And I want them to look me in the eye. Now, I will have to admit, I admire her courage, and she's not deterred by her calling to ministry from that. In fact, I'd, I'd like her to be my pastor one day. I mean, that sounds really good, but it grieved me a bit, right? In fact, Harvard Business Review even cited a study in this month's edition citing undergraduate college students and London bus drivers who had both been victims of injustice in the workplace and in the classroom and they had vented their frustrations to their friends and they studied whether or not after six weeks if their behavior had changed. You know what they found six weeks later? They were angrier and less forgiving six weeks after they thought they were just getting something off their chest. And you know what they called the study? I kid you not, citizenship behavior. 
Now, if Harvard Business Review knows that there's a direct connection between the way we behave as undergraduate college students or bus drivers or business persons and that affects how we behave in neighborhoods and swim teams and classrooms and city hall and village boards, then imagine how it affects our citizenship in heaven. And the good news is Paul gives us a solution. He says, this is exactly why you came to the cross of Christ. <laughs> because you knew you couldn't do this alone. That even in a Christian colony, we were going to face selfish ambition. And so the cross of Christ continues to work on us, to dredge up within us that selfish ambition and empty of us all that pettiness and grumbling. And as it does, it causes us to do something miraculous. That the answer to our problems with pettiness, to begin to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, is actually to attach ourselves to other colonists. Go back to the end of verse 27. Did you notice Paul's three instructions? He says to us, I want you to strive side by side to stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side with one mind for the sake of the gospel. Now that should sound familiar to us, right? Are in no way startled like a horse suddenly startled by the lightning. Don't be intimidated by what's going on around you. Now why would Paul use this image of standing side by side with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? Do you know where he got that image? You guessed it, from those Roman military veterans, right? You remember the picture of the tortoise? That's how they'd fought in the Roman wars. That's how they'd trained in Roman boot camp. Not to depend on better weapons, but to depend on their fellow officers standing arm in arm, hand in hand, side by side, right beside them because they knew their greatest weapon was their person, was the person to their right or to their left. Now imagine what it would mean for us as the Christian colony called Christ Church as we work to live our citizenship by attaching ourselves to our fellow colonists. The posture of the Christian is also oftentimes standing facing forward, looking at a platform, right? Or by yourself in your prayer closet. Just as important in the posture of a Christian is learning and training in a Christian form of boot camp or as Paul says, like a sports camp for those of you going to football training camp soon in this hot summer heat to stand in agony struggling together though using the very techniques that you would normally employ on the battlefield but now using the weapons of love and justice and peace and grace and forgiveness to overcome the forces of darkness with one another. That success in the Christ colony comes not from doing our own thing, but by contending for each other, for those under our command, and for those we serve. Isn't that why you gave up a week of vacation so that you could come down here and make crafts with preschoolers for vacation Bible school? 
Isn't that why over the last week some of you were in Minnesota and others of you were in Baraboo with me at Camp Cal? Some of you are going to Tijuana and others of you are serving day by day. Why? Because we need to learn to attach to other colonists and if it works for the adults on these trips, we might just try it on the students too, right? Because that is why we go. Because we need the reinforcement because we are passing along our faith to the next generation that is not only coming behind us but as a living present reality in and amongst us training us as we learn this week at Cal to be united, right? To come together as the colony of Christ and to begin to impart our faith by mending relationships, by showing and sharing the reconciling gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are going to be a lot of ways that you're going to celebrate the fourth this week. But let me suggest to you that one of the best ways you can thank our veterans and our police officers those who are serving in intelligence, in FBI and CIA, and those firefighters and others who are standing on the front lines protecting the right so you can have a parade this week. One of the best ways you can thank them is by making things right with someone with whom you are at odds. One of the best ways that we can give thanks to God for the freedoms that we have is by opening your Bible at your table this weekend and imparting your faith to another person at the table and inviting a couple of neighbors over and beginning to share your faith so that you may share and show a gospel witness to look out for the least and the last and the lost and the strangers in our midst because by training citizens of the kingdom of heaven we will by so train even better citizens for this nation under God. I want to close with one story about how we're doing that at Northern Seminary. We have a pastor that we work with in central Indiana who once served as in the armed forces in the Iraq War and came home to accept a call to ministry and now pastors a, a church of 70 persons in rural central southern Indiana but couldn't afford to come to seminary. And so with a partnership with several churches there, came on scholarship to Northern and took his first classes this past year. And his first class, he was sent home to practice what it might mean to set up a colony of Christ's kingdom in his little community in Indiana. And he was a bit incredulous. His homework assignment was to take the feeding of the 5,000 and to go home and feed three to five families in his neighborhood, not by handing out canned goods to random people, but to literally invite them to his dining room table and have a meal together. He said to his professor, I barely have enough money to make ends meet to come to seminary and now you want me to go out and buy groceries and, and buy food for the neighborhood. And the professor challenged him. He said, well, why don't you just buy enough groceries for two or three other families and see what God does, all right? So he did. He went home. He talked to his wife. They went down to the grocery store. They 
put a little food together. They invited two or three families in the neighborhood, never been over to his home before. This is a pastor, remember? And they had a little small meal, a little potluck meal right there in their neighborhood. And there he told them that this was his homework assignment for coming to seminary. That there was a story in the Bible about the feeding of the 5,000 and he was challenged to feed three to five people and he thanked them all for coming over to his home for this nice little homework assignment and he looked up and there was a woman sitting at his table who said wow I've never heard that story before tell me more and he told him the story about the feeding of the 5,000 that he thought everybody knew about and she said oh wow you know I've never been to church before and he began to share about his life as a pastor and how he had served in the Iraq war and now came home and he was serving uh, as a pastor to train folks in allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And she, a tear came to her eye. They prayed together and a couple of weeks later he went back to her home and began to share some more and listen to her story. And through the power of the Spirit and God's presence in their midst, she gave her life to the Lord and was baptized into that fellowship. All because this one pastor who had once served in the armed forces came home to say, Lord, I want to take the allegiance I have to you now and I want to show and share that life worthy of the gospel in my neighborhood. Because, folks, we don't want to ever forget where we came from. But we also never want to forget where we're going. And by so doing, we will train citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow, me, bow with me for prayer? Loving Heavenly Father, as we pause to give you thanks for those who have paid the ultimate price and still continue to sacrifice on our behalf so that we may enjoy and continue to worship you as we so choose, we recognize the daily test of our faith that we encounter. That the actual choices we have been given can easily become temptations when we are not focused on our true citizenship. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we pledge allegiance to you as our Lord so that we may live lives worthy of your gospel. So Father, in this, on this weekend, would you rid our lives of the pettiness? Would you take those moments when we just rather vent this week and turn them into victories? Would you reframe those times when we have felt injustice? And instead of us becoming victims, Lord, would you help us to turn them into opportunities to see your hand at work? to become more forgiving, less resentful, to do the powerful reconciling work of the gospel that only you can do through us to make space so that your presence can work 
so that we too may be found faithful as your followers. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.